Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. But we are now moving to another important part of our service as we gather together on Sundays. Uh, we love to come around God's Word. I love the Bible. I love hearing about God. I love reading about God because what that does is grow within me uh, a bigger and bigger picture of who Jesus Christ is, who God is, who's rescued us and saved us. So I can think of nothing better than to be reading God's Word, studying God's Word, uh, albeit very difficult and hard though to write sermons and talks um, to try and think to get it right, but uh, nonetheless love it. Just love to get in there and have God's word uh, working in my own heart and soul because it fills me with joy and delight and fills me with great love for him as I see what he has done for us and the glorious hope he's placed in our hearts and lives. Uh, we are going through the book of Luke. Uh, Luke, the doctor, the physician, 2,000 years ago, was a disciple of Jesus Christ and he uh, wrote down uh, the gospel according to Luke, a gathering uh, stories and facts of eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ and then compiling them together and writing this uh, letter to Theophilus. But we get to uh, look into that letter today written not only to Theophilus but also to Exchange Church Shepparton here and uh, we get this great joy to be doing that. Um, to help us uh, navigate our way through uh, today's talk, we brought our kids up on a very steady diet of VeggieTale DVDs. Hands up if you've seen a VeggieTale DVD. Robin and Jeff. Were they around back then, were they? Oh, good, good, okay. There's a few other hands I see up there as well. Uh, we loved it. There was one of them there was called Madam Blueberry. Can anybody remember Madam Blueberry? Sarah, there's a few Yeah, Christian, thank you very much. Well, Madam Blueberry built a very large house. And shortly after she built this house, a shopping centre opened over the road from Madam Blueberry's house. And as what all shopping centres do back in the day, they actually drop catalogues off in your mailbox. Madam Blueberry got one of these catalogues and said, I need to go across to this shopping centre. And within this shopping centre was a place called the Stuff Mart. The Stuff Mart. It was full of stuff. Madam Blueberry's eyes lit up because she saw all this stuff in the Stuff Mart. And all that stuff was what she wanted to make her life happy if she could just get hold of that stuff. So she bought and she bought and she bought and she bought all the stuff that she could. And if you watch the DVD, you see all these shopping trolleys leaving the stuff mart, going to Madame Blueberry's house and up to the second story of her house. Until finally the last bit of stuff was stuffed into her home, so much so that the home burst open and all the stuff got broken and ruined. Madame Blueberry walked home very unhappy that day because none of that stuff made her happy. But as she walked home, she saw this little girl celebrating her birthday with her parents. And this family didn't have too much at all. Actually, they didn't have much stuff whatsoever. But this little girl knew that God loved her, so that made her happy. Madame Blueberry then discovered that life is all about God and not about stuff. That's what Jesus is going to take us today. He's not going to use Madame Blueberry, but that sort of helps paint the scene for us. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 13 through to 34. Starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
But Jesus replies, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions or stuff. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, we thank you today as we come and uh, sit in this building and Lord, just have your word just spoken to us. Father, we thank you that you speak, God, you speak through the pages of scripture. Uh, Lord, your word is alive. And we pray, Holy Spirit, today, speak, speak clearly Uh, through this word today. Open up our hearts here about possessions. Open up our heart here about greed. Open up our heart here about anxiety and worry about stuff. Help us to see that it's all about seeking your kingdom and living a generous life. A generous life trusting in you. Speak into our hearts, challenge our hearts, change our hearts today as we do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, long passage here. Jesus has been talking to, if you go back to the start of the chapter, there's thousands of people that have been gathering here now to actually hear Jesus talking. And uh, what happens is, um, what he says in that particular passage is really right on topic for all people, particularly Western culture. It really resonates with us as he talks about greed and anxiety and about stuff. It's like when Jesus talks about that, he strikes a real chord here that actually uh, plays a tune in our hearts and uh, maybe some destabilises us. 
someone's interrupted though Jesus right in the middle of this really long uh, band of teaching amongst thousands of people as I just said and this interrupter calls out a teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me so Jesus now breaks off and actually addresses here this interrupter and now begins to speak about greed and anxiety as we desire after more and more stuff or more and more possessions. As we think about that today, here's the big idea that's going to shape where we're going. Uh, life consists in seeking God's kingdom first, which will then fill our heart with overflowing rest and contentment. Life consists in seeking God's kingdom first, which will fill our heart with uh, overflowing rest and and contentment. Okay, let's just set the scene here with Jesus. The man calls out and then Jesus replies back to him, man, I haven't come to, as it were, uh, sort out inheritance disagreements. And I've witnessed and experienced a few of those. Uh, They're not much fun as I've spoken to some people. It's amazing how when money gets involved, some families actually just blow apart. Uh, Jesus then goes on to give this sober warning in verse 15 and he says this, and he said to them, take care... And be on your guard against all covetousness, or that word means greed, all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What's Jesus saying? Be aware. Be alert. Be on the lookout for greed. Don't give it a millimetre in your heart. Don't even give it a a gasp of oxygen in your heart. Put up all your defences against greed, against covetousness. It's insidious and it destroys our lives. Don't even allow it to germinate, Jesus says. Be on guard against greed. And then Jesus then follows in with this parable here that describes probably a good number of people in Western culture and Western society today infected by this thing called greed. And what's the parable? It's a farmer or a businessman, if you wanted to sort of bring it into modern day, but we'll keep it in the farming perspective. Uh, this farmer's hit the jackpot. All the stars have lined up. He's looking out over his paddocks and his paddocks are green and lush and high. It's a bumper crop. All he can imagine as he looks out over his paddocks is all these grain trucks rolling in one after another, bringing all this grain in and filling up the silos. And he says to himself, where am I going to put this bumper crop? Where am I going to lay all this stuff? Where where can I do it? I can't let this jackpot go to waste. What am I going to do? Here's what I'll do, he says to himself. I'll pull down my old silos and I'll build larger ones, ten times the size of my original ones because I'm going to store all this grain because this jackpot's coming my way as he looks out over these flush fields in uh, green harvest. Then the harvest does come in and the farmer then gives us an insight to how he's thinking here in his own heart about life. I can just imagine him in this story, sitting back on the veranda now, looking at his ten silos, all filled with grain. And he says this in verse 19, as he sits back, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, soul. What does that sound like to you when you hear that? Does that sound like the Western mantra? Like our Western culture? Like, does that just sound like that's the dream? Eat, drink, relax, be merry? It sort of sounds like the ultimate life, doesn't it? You've got all these treasures stacked up. You can live the rest of your life 
Eating, drinking and being me. I can, I can retire, I can sail the seven seas in relaxation. I can relax and enjoy all my hard work and all that it's earned for me, all these treasures that I've built up for myself. I can eat and drink to my heart's content, whatever I like, wherever I like and whenever I like. All this stuff is what life will be about for me now. So I just relax and eat and drink and be merry, enjoying the fruit of my labours. What does God say to that rich farmer in this parable? He says this. He says, fool. Fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? God calls him a fool. A foolish Ignorant person. Fool. It's a powerful word. And you think of the context the way God says it. it. Takes your breath away a bit. Just stops you in your tracks. He says, you fool. And then Jesus goes on to say this. That's where we all are if we are like this rich farmer. He says in verse 21... So is the one, any of us who lay up treasures for ourselves, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God would call you a fool. You see, this is the problem with the Western dream that we all are a part of or infected by to some extent. We think life is found by all the creature comforts we can surround ourselves with. It's a bit like that story, he who has the most toys wins. It's like that's the Western culture, that's the Western mantra. Now, age of materialism, it's like more clothes, more shoes, more food, more holidays, more cars, bigger homes. And we begin to build our life around this stuff. We think this is what life is all about. And then sometimes we look across at what someone else has got and they've got a nicer car. They've got a new pair of shoes. They've got a bigger home. They've got something else. And it does something in our heart. We, we want that to the point where we actually maybe get greedy for that. I can remember back in my own school days that uh, rugby jerseys were the end thing when I was about 14 or 15. And uh, all my mates were getting them. And I thought they looked so cool. I thought they looked so cool on these rugby jerseys. And I'm going back to the early 80s. So there you go. So maybe that was the thing back then. But they just looked so cool on these rugby jerseys. I just wanted one. I just wanted a rugby jersey. I thought if I could have a rugby jersey, I'd be cool just like them. So what was it for me? More clothes. I just That was where life was, to have this rugby jersey. I d- did eventually get one, but it didn't really make life for me. But that's how it is. I, we, can be just like the rich farmer. All of us can be infected to some extent by the world we live in and what's around us and how it gets into our heart. What's our problem here when it's like that? And what's the problem here of the rich farmer? He lives in a very small world. He lives in a very tiny world. He can only see as far as his bank balance and the next cruise he might take. He can't see anything beyond that. All he can see is the pleasures to be had here and now. He lives in a really, really tiny little world. His small world revolves around all the temporal pleasures that he can actually build his life around. 
His life is all about getting, 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 getting more stuff. Get, 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 get. That's all he wants. And you see, there's a blindness that comes from that as we sort of gather all these toys and joys from this world. And this blindness blocks us from seeing a greater reality, an infinite reality. And part of that reality is this, that God has appointed for all of us a time to die. Hebrews 9.27 says this, it's appointed once for men to die, and then comes the judgment. Then we stand before God in judgment for our lives. And God tells this, this rich man, your appointed time to die is tonight. You've gathered all this stuff, but tonight is your appointed time to die. And then you'll stand before me. You see, this is what greed does. It's an idol in our life. And it blinds us from seeing the reality of who God is and his supreme position in this universe. Greed is an idol that demands to be fed. It's crying out, feed me, gather more stuff. I need more stuff. For you to find life, you need to get more stuff in your life. This idol says, feed me, feed me, feed me, get more stuff. And we can never satisfy this idol of greed. Because it never has enough. It's always looking for more. And ultimately, what it does, it leaves us bankrupt before God. Who's this rich farmer? He's the wealthiest man in town, the richest man in town, but he's absolutely bankrupt before God. There's nothing left in his account before God. Look, Lord, see my bank balance? Isn't it grand? I can imagine standing before the Lord on Judgment Day. Look at my photo album. Look at all the places I've been around the world. All the fun I had, Lord. What do you think? Jesus says, foolish. Foolish is the person who lays up treasure for himself and isn't rich towards God. And you've got to think back a few years ago to the GFC, the global financial crisis back in 2008. All these financial investors and wealthy people building up all their life, as it were, in accumulation of finances. And the GFC come along and what happened? Large numbers of these people committed suicide because their whole life was wrapped up in the accumulation of these treasures. And these treasures couldn't carry them through the challenges of life. Devastating to see. But that's what happens. We build our life in greed on stuff. Building our life around possessions can also cause us other significant issues as well. Have a look in verses 22, 23. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. That word therefore is really important. That actually links these two passages together. When you see that, it's a direct link between them. He's saying, therefore, because of what I've just said, think about this as well. Except this time for the person who's uh, consumed here, not so much about greed, but more so worry and anxiety and whether they'll have enough possessions of the simple things like food and clothing to get through in life. Worry and anxiety is beginning to eat them up. Think about probably more recently. Uh, What was one of the things that we saw during the uh, announcement of a coming lockdown? Maybe more so last year, but a little bit earlier this year as well. What's some of the visual things we saw in the news when all of a sudden there was a lockdown coming statewide to Victoria? 
supermarket queues, people lining up, just going to get stuff. And that sort of stuff was uh, food. People, I know toilet paper was one of them, but I'm, I'm, I'm other stuff as well. I'm, I'm sure some of them were in the aisle and they're saying, right, I'm not sure I've got enough stuff here because I'm really anxious about food in this lock. I'm not sure I'm going to get through. I'll get 10 cartons of long life milk. Hang on, I'll make it 15. Hang on, there's somebody coming. Put it all in. It's a bit like that. You saw some of the social media stuff. They were fighting over toilet paper in the supermarket aisles. Anxious, worried, gripped by this stuff. People lining up for hours outside of shopping centres because they're worried and anxious. All over the world today, we still have people, not, not so much a lockdown, but they're called preppers prepping for doomsday. What are they doing? They've got bunkers lined with food and all sorts of other stuff because they're worried and they're anxious about the end of the world. I need the basics. I need this stuff. I've got to prep for doomsday. Jesus' followers must never, must never fret and worry over the most basic needs of life. We never have to fret or worry about those things. Now, now, having said that, that doesn't mean we take an irresponsible attitude to life and just think somehow it just magically turns up in the pantry. Of course, we still go out and we get a job and we do the, the necessary effort required to buy what we need, but we should never fret or worry over the very basic things in life. Again, Jesus says, don't waste your energy being consumed by worrying over these things. Have a look in verse 29 and 30. He tells us that again, and he says, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Don't be worried about these things. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. You don't have to fret and worry about these things. He said, greed and anxiety are not the way of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Life is way bigger than food and way bigger than clothing. Way bigger than Earlier this week, as I was sort of studying here, Leon Morris in his commentary said this, Greed says we can never get enough, and worry is afraid I may not have enough. There's sort of worry nearly on both sides to some extent. Greed says I can never get enough because you can't satisfy greed, and worry is continually fearful that I won't have enough. We're not called to that living. That's broken living. That's a living that will ultimately marked by fear. Where's the good news, you might say, in this passage? Well, here is the good news in the passage, the gospel. God knows what we need, and he can be trusted to give us exactly what's required. Have a look in verse 24. He says this, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Have you ever seen a bird's nest? Is there a refrigerator in the bird's nest? Is there a pantry in the bird's nest? No. You just watch them. They go around and just pull stuff out of the ground and bring it back to their little chicks and then feed them and then go get some more for themselves. No refrigerators there. No pantries. Verse 27, verse 28, look at this. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Who likes flowers? 
few hands going up. Aren't flowers just gorgeous? Just God's amazing creativity in this colourful display of grandeur in flowers, particularly in spring when they just burst out. I mean, it's just amazing. But God says, hey, not even Solomon, and he's right, in all of his glory could be clothed just like these flowers, but hey, they're alive today in the field, and, they're, and the, tomorrow they're burned in the oven. But not you. You'll be clothed. God will look after us. He'll prepare for us. What is it telling us? That God keeps and sustains his world. God keeps and God sustains his people. God graciously provides all that we need. Life is found in God and not in the possessions of this world. That's not where we find life. We find our life in God. My worth, my value, my meaning, my purpose is found in him and not in the type of clothes that I wear or the type of car that I drive or the home that I live in. That's not what identifies me. It's my life is found in God and not in these things. And this is what the gospel does. It actually sets us free from this tiny, shallow, small mindset where we think life is all wrapped up in my wardrobe or my pantry or my car. You see, if we think like that, if we actually let our minds go down that path that life consists in possessions, it's like living in a fishbowl. It's small, it's crowded, it's shallow, and there's not much in there. There's no life to be found really in a fishbowl. What God does, he invites us to swim in his ocean of delight, his ocean of goodness, his ocean of grace, his ocean of provision, by trusting him to provide all that we need. And he allows us to experience that delight as we trust him in that way. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your father's delight. It is good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God has a bounty of joy wrapped up in himself that will never run dry. We don't have to fret over it. We don't have to worry. We don't have to get anxious about it. God can be trusted in all occasions and at all times. God grants us this peace and this rest in knowing that and in living that way. He says, find your life in me. How do we discover this God like this then? How do we discover the God who is the one who gives us this peace and contentment? How do we see a God who can be trusted for all of life? Well, you don't find it by self-effort. You don't find it by looking within yourself trying to find a new change in life, like a sea change. I'll just shift to a whole new location and somehow it'll just happen in my life. That's how I find God. That's how I find this peace and contentment. We actually need to be set free from these chains here that bind us up in greed. And we're affected at various levels when it comes to this, particularly in our Western culture. We need to be actually set free from this brokenness. And only Jesus Christ can do this. Only he could give us a new heart and a whole new perspective on life. Why? Because he lived a perfect life, free from greed, free from anxiety. He never had a greedy thought in his life, never had a moment of anxiety whatsoever because he trusted implicitly in his heavenly father. And what did Jesus do with that life? He generously gave that life up. He gave that life up to rescue us, to pay the price of our sin by dying on the cross, to set us free from greed and to set us free from anxiety. And when we believe in him, that is Jesus Christ, God instantly forgives us. 
washes away all of our sin, cancels that debt of sin against us and ushers us in with our whole new heart into a whole new life, set free from greed and set free from anxiety. That's the only way to find that, through the person of Jesus Christ and no other way can be found. Well, what does that new life look like then? He sets me free from greed, he sets me free from anxiety. Well, Jesus, what does that look like? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging here in suspense. He actually goes on and tells us what this new new life looks like. Instead of seeking possessions, Jesus says, instead of seeking stuff, instead of following Madame Blueberry into the stuff mart, he says, seek something else. Look in verse 31. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Spend our life seeking God's kingdom. Spend our life desiring God. Spend our life consumed by God. Spend our life by trusting in him who will provide for every need. Spend our life with the gospel continually shaping how I think and what I desire. Spend our life with the gospel doing everything in my life to transform me into the image of Christ. Spend my life seeking his kingdom so God is glorified through every desire in my life. Seek his kingdom first. And know what? That a glorious, loving, holy God will provide every possible need that may come into my life. Every need without fail. Seek his kingdom first. Well, then you may even ask that. What does seeking God's kingdom look like here? Well, again, Jesus actually helps us in this passage. Have a look here in verse 33 as he talks about possessions. He says here, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, with a thief where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. What's the antidote to greed and anxiety? As Jesus says it is here, it's gospel generosity. It's give. It's gospel generosity. What was the rich man all about? Get more stuff, get more stuff, get more stuff, get more stuff. Madame Blueberry is about that too, get more stuff. What's our culture about? Same thing. Get more, get more, get more, get more. You need more stuff to make your life fulfilling. What is Jesus saying here? It's about giving and not getting. It's about giving and not getting. Gospel generosity is about having a massively growing view of a very, very, very generous God who's given so much for us. And that translates into a rock-solid, absolute trust that God has and will continue to meet all of my needs. And that translates into sacrificial worship by telling and showing, not just telling only, but showing others how much of a treasure that Jesus is to us. And how does that look? He says, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Be generous with what God has given us. Trust God with what he's given you by giving it away to others. It's not about getting, it's about giving. How much? How much will I give away, Jesus? All of it? Is that what it means there in that passage? Do I give all of it away? Sell your possessions and give to the poor? Maybe. Maybe not. Jesus isn't making this a commandment here like, yes, you must go and sell all your possessions. But for some people, 
they may feel to do that. And I wouldn't stop them from doing that. But I don't believe that Jesus is asking us here to give everything away. Because if all of us gave everything away, we'd all be living off government handouts, and that wouldn't be the most loving thing to do for our community. But having said that, some individuals may feel like they want to do that, and I wouldn't stop anybody from doing that. Here's what I'm convinced about the New Testament calls us to in the sense of possessions and stuff in our lives. I'm convinced that the New Testament calls all believers to live a lifestyle of moderation and not luxurious living. Here's one passage that I'll just give to you that helps point us in that direction that calls us to moderation, a moderate lifestyle, not a luxurious lifestyle. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-9 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. It's like a life of moderation. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The gospel calls us into a lifestyle of moderation, a moderate life. So how do we describe moderation? What does that look like? Well, I think that'll be different for all people. What's moderate for you, uh, me might be, moderate, might be different for what's moderate for you. So how do we help us here to think about moderation, living in a moderate way? Here's a general rule that I apply to myself as I think about moderation. It's this. Try and live on a little bit less other than a little bit more. Maybe I just don't need that extra pair of shoes. Maybe I just don't need another jumper. Maybe I just don't need another jacket. Maybe I just don't need that size car. I just try and aim a little bit less other than a little bit higher. And ask and pray the Holy Spirit to guide and lead you through that lifestyle of moderation and you'll see that's what will happen. Just to lower our sights a bit. And what's the purpose of doing that? The purpose of doing that is so that there's some access in our life, which we've all got that in Western society, so that we can give it away. So we can sell our possessions. So we can give to the poor. So we can reflect that Jesus is our absolute treasure. Now, in saying that, don't don't hear me wrong and think, well, is generosity the measure then by some sort of dollar amount, that I'm only generous if I give away X amount of dollars? Don't, don't, Don't hear me say that. Because it's not that. It's not about the dollars that we give away. Because some people will have more capacity than others at certain times of life. And that's okay. That's really okay. But the important point here is this. What Jesus is getting at is a heart attitude of generosity, not a dollar value of generosity. It's ultimately the heart that God looks at and is seeking to change within us. That will generate some level of capacity from that. It's the heart that God wants to change. He wants to go from a greedy heart to a generous heart, from an anxious heart to a trusting, generous heart. These are challenging words here of Jesus today, particularly for our Western culture. Every one of us, like I say, is affected, infected by some extent in this thing called greed. I know myself, I just look across the stuff and it's amazing how quickly my heart wants to leap out and just latch onto some of those things. I've got to watch that. Let's make no mistake here about what Jesus' word is saying. Unchecked greed 
Unchecked greed will send you to hell. Unchecked greed will send you to hell. Jesus is giving a really solid warning here when, the, when God calls this rich man a fool. He's not commending his life. He's saying, you fool. You fool. Unchecked greed is a heart that truly hasn't seen Jesus and his amazing sacrifice. Don't treat it as a small issue. Treat it as an eternal issue. But this is the beauty of the gospel here. Jesus allows us to stand rich before God, rich in the perfection of Jesus Christ, rich with a heart now that is liberated from greed to now not be stingy or self-centred or have a small mind of view of this world, but it now liberates us to see a generous God. And this generous God actually gives us a heart of generosity too, that we work with the Spirit's power to grow that generosity. What's your generosity like? How easy is it for you to give stuff away? Is Jesus truly shaping the way you think about your possessions? And are you easily able to give those things away? Or are you going with the flow of this world just trying to get more stuff? Just trying to get more stuff? Let me close with this really powerful verse. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a God that can be trusted. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that we can uh, come and gather together. We thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for this amazing, powerful truth. We thank you for the person of Jesus Christ who lovingly liberates us from greedy hearts, who lovingly liberates us from anxious, worried hearts, who pours into our hearts the blessing of being generous, the blessing of being able to trust in you, Lord, and the blessing to be able to do this with joy and gladness. Lord, today I do pray, please, grant us that heart, Lord. Grant us that heart that sees the uh, wonderful sacrifice, the generosity that you've given to us through giving your son to die in our place. And may that quicken within us a heartfelt response of worship and generosity, we pray. Today, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.